Welcome everyone to the Rethink It podcast, a podcast designed for equipping families and individuals struggling with brain health issues to identify practical, natural health science and lifestyle approaches to restore optimal brain health and prevent dementia. My podcast, my newsletter, my website, and my integrative practice all focus on providing down-to-earth solutions for upgrading and protecting brain health. This podcast is meant to supply women with brain fog and chronic health issues with the knowledge to choose affordable, effective tools and techniques that go beyond brain hacking. The goal is to preserve your quality of life, your health, your freedom, and your independence. I'm excited you're here today. I'm Sandy, your host for the next 30 minutes to an hour. For the next six months, as we try to get the word out there about this podcast content, we are offering a very special promotion. We will be doing a drawing to give away a free MRT food sensitivity test, which samples the top 88 common food sensitivities. This test has a value of $399, and we will be giving it away for free. MRT is the most advanced and reliable test for hidden inflammatory reactions to foods and food chemicals, and it identifies your best foods. So this is not an allergen test. This is a food sensitivity test. This helps you when you identify your best foods and all those hidden inflammatory reactions. It helps you make a strategic food plan in order to rapidly reduce systemic and digestive inflammation which improves outcomes of any other digestive health program that you're currently participating in. This is something I do for a lot of my clients um, in order to rapidly get ahead of the inflammation that they're dealing with. For more information about the test, please go to our website, beyondbrainhealth.com, and check out the Direct to You Labs. We'll We'll also provide a link for you in the show notes, so you can check that out as well if that's an easier direction for you. But as I said above, I am excited to offer this test, this $399 test to you for free. Here's how you qualify to get it for free, okay? So I'm gonna warn you, since this test is almost $400, there are a few steps you must follow to qualify for this drawing. Okay, it's a $400 test, so it's not just one step, you guys. (laughs) So here we go. Go to your show notes on whatever podcaster you're listening on, whether it's Google, Apple, or Spotify. Give us a rating, good or bad. I appreciate both. And comment on the podcast. I really appreciate the honest feedback, especially as I'm growing and learning this whole podcasting education process. I want you guys to really enjoy our time together. So let me know how I'm doing. All right, number two, step number two, you will also follow us on Instagram or Facebook, please. And give us a comment there as well. Those links should also be found on every single episode of our show notes. So you just need to open the show notes that you're listening on right now and, you know, click, click the link to your Instagram or Facebook, um, whichever you guys prefer social media platform that you prefer to be on and follow us there and give us a comment. And lastly, to qualify for the drawing, please share this podcast with at least one person. Okay. So to sum up, you're giving us a rating on your favorite podcaster, whichever one you prefer. You're going to follow us on the podcast and on Instagram or Facebook, whichever you're on, and give us a comment on both. And lastly, you're going to share this content with at least one person. 
That's a few steps, but it shouldn't take you more than 60 seconds to complete all three. We will be doing the drawing on December 15th, 2023. So let's get the word out there. Today, I just wanted to do a fireside chat with you all and discuss the whole premise behind this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the last few interviews that we did, and I hope it gave you a bigger perspective about how hormones and trauma can affect the development of your brains and have an impact on your brain longevity. I just want you guys to know how much brain health preservation and longevity is a real passion of mine. The reason I'm doing this podcast is hopefully to help you guys learn how to be your own hero in your health story. My heart breaks every time I'm in the hospital and I see a patient who is or feels like they are at the mercy of other people's decisions and knowledge. It is so discouraging when you only hear one narrative about what's going on in the body and what's possible with regards to healing. One thing we can say for sure is this. All right, listen, science is never fully settled. (laughs) That's the nature of science. But that doesn't mean we don't have enough information to make informed decisions about our health. The nature of science is studying, observing, hypothesizing, testing, and verifying, and then along the way discovering something else we didn't know. Our bodies were created by an infinite God. As such, it would be a tremendously prideful thing to say that we have these infinitely complex bodies all figured out. Let me give you a few examples of what I mean by this. At the last conference I recently attended, one of the lecturers was talking about water. We know everything there is to know about water, right? (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) Very, very wrong. (laughs) Did you know that for the last 23 years, there has been significant research into water, in particular, the study of the fourth phase of water? Did you even know that existed? (laughs) I didn't for a long time. Dr. Gerald Pollack out of the University of Washington has been awarded several prestigious scientific prizes for his lifelong research into water, particularly the fourth phase of it. Did you know that many researchers today believe that the water that composes our body is this fourth phase of water? The fourth phase of water is something we call structured water, you might have heard that before, matrix water, or living water and it is believed to surround all cells, the DNA, the RNA, the organelles, and every nanometer of structures inside of our bodies. What you and I grew up knowing about the science of water is this, most likely, unless you guys are extra specially smart, (laughs) which I wouldn't doubt, but I didn't know this. So here's what I learned. I learned that we had three phases of water, liquid, solid, and vapor, right? Liquid, solid, and vapor. But this fourth phase of water is hydrogen and oxygen to hydrogen and oxygen h2o that has arranged themselves in hexagonal arrangements which structures into sheets so you've got this h2o spreading out in very fixed forms forming a hexagonal shape and then multiplying that into a sheet and then those sheets begin to layer on top of each other creating this matrix like structure so layers and layers upon hexagonal sheets of H2O. That's crazy, right? (laughs) What keeps this structure in, in its shape and layering is electron and photonic energy. 
it's super complex and yet it's crazy simple. It's, it's water, it's H2O. But back to the lecture, as the, as the speaker was talking about the complex nature of structured water inside of our bodies, she said something to the effect of, we have a universe of unknown complexity inside the cells of our bodies. I thought that was amazing. What a great statement. The living human cell is like our universe of planets and galaxies. And here's the thing. The most current research indicates that we have only discovered about 5% of the universe. And if our cells hold the fingerprint of an infinite creator, it is safe to say that we know less than we think we do about how our bodies and how they really work. So when it comes to this podcast, my goal is to help you understand what the current scientific research suggests about how our bodies work in a way that allows you to take the information in to make a powerful and informed decision about how you care for your body and your health. Some of the things you will hear as like, for example, that fourth visit water, if you've never heard it, welcome to my world of, wow, there's more. <laughs> so some of the things you're going to hear in my podcast um, may turn your whole thinking upside down. And that's okay. So I ask you to keep an open mind and take your time digesting the facts. Remember that the pioneers of history, they were all often considered pretty crazy. And they were often, they often um, suffered ridicule for the sake of sharing a very unpopular or unrecognized truth or a truth that nobody was ready yet to hear. I remember learning about one such medical pioneer who changed the face of modern medicine with, with his observations, Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis. Have you ever heard his name? <laughs> well, if you have ever delivered a baby or had surgery, you should be very grateful for this man's dedication to a very unpopular truth at his time. Let me transport you back to 1830s Vienna, Austria for just a moment. And I want to introduce you to a young Jewish doctor who, because of his ethnicity as a Jew in, um, in Austria, Austria, was refused his preferred specialties. And he ended up working in an obstetric ward in Vienna, in a Vienna hospital. So context is very important when we look at history so that we don't project our modern mindset into history. I want to give you, I want to paint you kind of a picture of the time of like the 1830s Vienna. If you were living in the 1800s, you would have been taught that disease was caused by something called miasma, a fancy term that meant foul odors. So if you smelled a bad odor, you were probably going to get sick. This belief was so strong that people would actually close their windows at night to keep the foul odors out of their homes. How different that is that from today? Don't we open the windows to clear the air now? Well, Vienna was slightly ahead of its time with regards to sanitation, having some homes that actually contained indoor plumbing of sorts that, um, Usually it led to like, it was an open hole in your basement and it led to a general citywide sewage system that was actually remnant from the Romans back from way back in the Romans. They just re recreated it up into the 1800s, which I think is kind of cool. Anyway, they had this um, place within the walled city. They had this in place in the walled sections of the city. Of, so like within the walls of Vienna. 
Um, starting around 1739, which is kind of impressive. Compare that to the U.S., we had our first um, sewage collection and treatment system in place around 1850, and it was in Chicago. So living in Vienna around the 1830s, you would probably light your home with gas lights. You would collect your water from a communal pump or well that was not in your home. You would close your windows at night because you don't want to let in the miasma, and you would possibly probably use a pot to do your business and dispose it into an open sewage hole in your basement or outside of your home. And that's what went to the sewage system. If you were an expectant mother, childbirth was still considered a life-threatening process. It was in this context that Dr. Semmelweis was completing his medical training. Around 1830, the obstetric ward of, of Vienna Hospital, which was staffed mostly by midwives, had about a 1% mortality rate. That's not too bad. It's pretty equivalent to what we have today. When the hospital opened its second obstetric wing to be staffed by residents and doctors, the maternal mortality in that wing was starkly higher than that the wing run by midwives. It was a rate of like 7.5%. That's a significant difference than 1%, right? The majority of the deaths in that wing um, was from something called purple fever, which is an infection of the reproductive system. Okay. So as Dr. Semmelweis stepped into the role of chief MD of that wing around 1847, he also noticed a strike, the striking difference in mortality rates between the two wings. Um, but nobody could figure out what was going on. Well, one thing that was unique about the staff in the medical wing was that the resident doctors assigned to the obstetric ward were also assigned to perform all the autopsies at that hospital. I suppose the hospital, it was like a hospital staff utilization thing. Anybody who works in a hospital today knows how we are about utilization of staff. Pretty similar to today, right? It's possible that the hospital didn't want the resident doctors sitting around being unproductive while waiting for a delivery. So especially when they could be more utilized in the morgue. But that's just my suspicion. I don't know. Well, one day, Dr. Semmelweis was working with his friend and colleague, Dr. Kolechka, in the morgue, and he, they were performing an auto, a routine autopsy. And his friend accidentally received a scalpel wound. And a few days later, he died of similar symptoms to purple fever. It's important to note that other physicians at the time had also believed that purple fever was somehow transmissible. In fact, many women called it the doctor's plague. It seemed that the average housewife even knew somehow doctors were responsible for transmitting this disease. Interesting. So Dr. Semmelweis was, however, the first to perform a simple observational study and identify that the residents performing autopsies would often be called to a delivery, likely transmitting what he called cadaver particles. And that was likely the cause of the disease. It was possible that he was drawing on his religious experiences when where it was commonplace to perform ritualistic hand washing before meals and at other times. And so he began requiring everyone in the obstetric ward, all the residents staffing the obstetric ward to wash their hands in a chlorine solution between patients. And wouldn't you know it, mortality rates dropped precipitously 
in less than six months. Semmelweis's observation were not readily accepted by the medical profession. In fact, many were enraged at the suggestion that they could possibly be the cause of their patients' deaths, and the pushback he received was strong to say the least. And this hero in healthcare died rejected and alone in an insane asylum shortly after publishing his research. Unfortunately, he published his findings several years before Louis Pasteur began his work into the research about germ theory. Semmelweis was not the only physician who was rejected for his life-saving observations at the time. Dr. John Snow, a British doctor and pioneer in anesthesia, so he's close and near and dear to my heart, um, was likewise rejected for his theory that cholera could could be transmitted through water. He proposed his theory amidst a cholera epidemic that was raging London around 1849, so a very similar time frame as Dr. Semmelweis. This cholera epidemic was raging through London 1849, and he proposed that the bacteria or the whatever it was, they didn't know what it was yet, they didn't call it bacteria then, <laughs> was transmitted through the water. And he proposed this theory amidst the epidemic um, of 1849. And he was swiftly rejected by his colleagues. But as the epidemic raged on, the city officials reluctantly followed his recommendations to turn off access to a common drinking pump, which he believed was the primary source of the contamination. And sure enough, the outbreak stopped. So naturally, the health officials went right to work cleaning up the cesspools and the sewers that were the source of contamination of the drinking water, right? You guys know it's wrong. Of course not. Why would they do that? It took several years later and several more outbreaks before the officials reluctantly agreed to Dr. Snow's recommendations. And it was almost 30 years later before another scientist, Dr. Robert Koch, isolated the bacteria Vibrio cholera in water and confirmed it was indeed only spread through water, not air. Finally, giving our pioneer, Dr. Snow, the validation that he very much deserved. But the point I'm making with these two stories, because they're they're in recent history, I mean, 1800s, I know it seems a long time ago, but it's still modern-ish history. The point I'm making is that profound advances in medicine and health and science are often met with ridicule, pushback, rejection, and slander. But not, not thinking through things is not a good option. What that is, is submission without true informed consent. You can only make a good decision when you fully understand the consequences of all possible choices available to you, right? And guys, you are absolutely able to understand the basics of how the body works and make good informed decisions about your health. In today's medical paradigm, very similar to the time of Dr. Semmelweis, there's not much room for asking questions like why and how, or is there another option? That's kind of frowned upon. But I want you to be able to think critically when it comes to your health. Your health is, quite frankly, the most significant investment you can make in your life. How many times have you seen somebody labor their entire lives to spend their retirement investment on assisted care, memory care, and more? And the ages of people requiring this kind of care is getting younger and younger, which quite frankly breaks my heart. So with all that prologue, I want 
to get you guys excited for a few upcoming podcasts where we will dive into some fun and challenging podcasts like Rethinking Fluoride, of course, Pesticides and Herbicides, and the link with um, those and dementia and diminished brain health, of course, because that's the topic of our podcast. We will also find um, hear from an expert from the International Academy of Biological Dentistry to help discuss the powerful connection between oral health, root canals, and brain health, as well as other chronic diseases. In today's episode, I want to expose the reality that there are basically three main things that lead to all forms of chronic disease, like three main root causes. When I say root cause, I'm not talking about pathophysiology, which is the study of diseased physiology. I'm not talking about the altered physiology that occurs as disease sets in and that we see and measure in your doctor's offices with labs and x-ray. I'm not talking about the altered physiology that defines the medical diagnoses that you may have. I'm talking about what causes that altered physiology. That is what root cause means. Okay, so as a broad generality, we can categorize the cause of all three all diseases with three main categories that overlap to some degree. So I want you guys to put on your your nerd hats, your your front of the row classroom hats for a second, and visualize a Venn diagram. Okay, those three circles that overlap each other. Okay, so we have three overlapping circles. And in one category, we have toxicity. In another one of those circles, we have deficiencies. And in the third one, we have stress. All diseases can ultimately find its cause in some combination of those three categories. Let's look at toxicity for a moment. We know that the toxins we are exposed to have the ability to alter genes and gene expression, but how? You've heard me mention toxins in other podcasts, and you will continue to, believe me. But what exactly is a toxin? How do we define them, broadly speaking? I mean, we can list them, but how do we define them? Remember how I was talking about structured water at the beginning of this podcast, and I mentioned that electron energy is what helps our body to structure the water inside of our cells. Well, this electron energy is the foundational concept of how we define toxins. Toxins are anything that leads to a depletion in your body's electron energy. You've likely heard about how bad free radicals are to the body, right? You've also likely heard that the best way to remain young and healthy and even beautiful is to consume a large amount of antioxidants like those found in vitamin C and blueberries, right? They even put antioxidants in certain beauty products. Well, this is because free radicals are electron stealers. They themselves have an electron imbalance and they rob electrons from healthy cells in your body, leading to an imbalance in the mitochondria and, and fun fundamentally at the atomic level of your cells. Antioxidants, on the other hand, are excellent electron donors. They, they are very generous. They're the southern hospitality of our cells, okay? Very generous, open. They want to give Okay, the antioxidants give electrons to the cells, and so they, they give those nasty free radicals the electrons that they are longing for, 
so they don't have to go robbing them from your cells. It protects your cells from electrical thievery. <laughs> I laugh at my own nerdy jokes. You guys don't make fun of me. <laughs> so now that we have established that toxins are anything that leads to a loss of electrons from our cells, we can look at toxins in a slightly broader category. When you think of toxins, what do you think of? I mean, I personally used to primarily think of pesticides like dioxin because I grew up during the 1980s when there was this massive contamination of dioxins in Missouri, and that led to all sorts of illnesses and cancer. In fact, so bad that the government had to buy up the whole town, a whole town in Missouri because of the magnitude of contamination. And then there was a large class action lawsuit and, of course, a lot of publicity. And that's the whole premise behind several movies that I'm sure you've heard of or seen, like Aaron Brockovich starring Julia Roberts. And there, there's a more recent movie that came out. Maybe it didn't get as much press, but I highly recommend it nonetheless. And it was called Dark Waters. And it, it um, starred Mark Ruffalo from, you know, um, what did he play in? He was the Hulk in the Marvel series. So Dark Waters. And it, it was exposing the um, cover-up and lawsuit uh, surrounding DuPont and their contamination of an area, a large area in Southern Ohio and West Virginia. So anyhow, I highly recommend both movies. So, um, but moving on. Toxins, back to toxins, <laughs> they can be categorized by more than just environmental toxins like the dioxins that I was talking about. They can be, you know, Environmental toxins also, by the way, contain not just pesticides, it contains herbicides and glyphosate, those forever chemicals that are getting so much press right now. And that's also what Dark Waters is about. <laughs> and the PCBs. Um, but And those do cause an enormous amount of human health impact. But there's also toxins that um, include things like heavy metals, um, mold and mycotoxins, biological toxins that your body is unable to clear, biological toxins from chronic infection, aldehyde from yeast colonization. So these would, when I say biological toxins, I'm talking about tox the breakdown of normal tissue or abnormal tissue in your body. So if you've got a lot of bacteria in your gut that shouldn't be there and it's starting to break down or your body's trying to get rid of it, it's going to release biological toxins. If you have Lyme disease and we try to kill it, we're, we're going to kill the Lyme bacteria and it's going to release its biological toxins. That's one form of biological toxins, but you also have the biological waste of normal metabolism. So anybody ever get uh, really sore after workout, that's because your body's re released a bunch of lactic acid from the breakdown of certain cells. So that would be considered a biological toxin. All right, so enough about that. But things, uh, but the things that a lot of people miss when it comes to the category of toxins um, go beyond that. So things like sound and emotion. Noise pollution is actually true pollution. And we could spend a whole podcast talking about this. But let me point you to the work of a guy named Masaru Emoto um, to illustrate the point. This guy was a Japanese scientist, I think he's still alive, Japanese scientist, and he had a fascination with water and the healing potential found within it. Here we are going back to water. <laughs> he began to look at the structure that water formed when it was exposed to different frequencies. 
What he would do is take a jar of distilled water, expose it to different types of music, even different types of word words, and then he would flash freeze a half a mil of that water in a glass dish. Very consistently positive words like love and the sounds like Mozart's concertos would result in the in very complex and beautiful structures. Think of a snowflake. While waters that were exposed to like negative words like hate and harsh music like heavy metal, they would result in disordered structures when frozen. It was crazy. He went further with his research and he compared spring waters from the sacred springs in Japan with waters from municipal sources in towns like London and Paris. And he would find that the natural uncontaminated springs formed beautiful, complex structures when frozen, while the municipal waters were disorganized and even messy looking when frozen. You can Google this and find some of these slides. It's pretty cool. From his work, you can appreciate the powerful healing or toxic effect that sound and emotion can have on the structure of water. And since the structure of water is dependent on electrons and electrical energy, it is reasonable a reasonable scientific hypothesis to say that sound and emotions affect the frequency and charge of cells. And beside that, we're primarily water, right? <laughs> So for a, a good, another good example, like maybe practical to bring it home would be just the frequency that how, how frequency is identified, um, in, you know, humans, if you, if you've got any dog lovers out there, does your dog notice when you're sad, even before you say a word, dogs are incredibly sensitive to frequencies, which makes them highly perceptible to the changes in our emotions. Um, so they identify that emotional, say, toxicity. <laughs> so toxins include the physical world and physical toxicity in our world, but also less physical and more sound and emotion. These are all in the category of toxins. So back to our little Venn diagram, first circle was toxins, and we just covered all of those. Okay, so we have everything from pesticides, herbicides, biological toxins to emotions and sound. So if we go to our next little circle and we begin to look at deficiencies as one of our general causes, we can see a little bit of overlap with toxicities, mainly because heavy metals and toxic chemicals sometimes have a similar shape and structure to nutrients that our bodies need. For example, fluoride. Fluoride is more reactive than iodine, which means that in the body, it is going to preferentially take on, sit on a receptor. So if we've got both fluoride and iodine, the one that's more reactive is the one that's going to take charge of whatever receptor we're looking for. So it's more reactive than iodine, meaning it's going to displace iodine from the cells that need it, like, say, your thyroid. Needed minerals like zinc can be blocked by things like mercury, which you find in your silver fillings. Calcium can be easily displaced in your body by things, toxins and heavy metals like lead. But we don't just struggle with toxins causing deficiencies. The modern population is actually seeing more and more innate nutritional deficiencies for several reasons. One reason is because of poor digestive health. We talked about that a little bit previously, but inflammation in the gut can prevent adequate absorption of nutrients from our food. 
but also our food is becoming increasingly deplete as well in nutrients. There's a vast amount of research on this um, demonstrating it. There was a a study by the Cushy Institute that analyzed the nutritional data from like 1975 to 1997. And it showed that the average calcium levels in 12 fresh vegetables dropped 27% in that short period of time. Iron dropped 37%. Vitamin A dropped 21%. Vitamin C dropped 30%. There's a lot of other studies that have been performed um, since then and around then, only confirming that fact. In fact, one study concluded that someone had to eat the equivalent of eight oranges today to take in the same amount of vitamin A as our grandparents did um, when they would have only eaten one. That's crazy. (laughs) So deficiencies are complex. We've got poor soil nutrients. We've got pesticides that block the soil nutrition. We've got poor So we've got nutritionally deplete vegetables and we've got gut inflammation and then we've got toxicities blocking, you know, or displacing uh, the nutrients we do have. So we've got a a definite overlap between toxicity and deficiencies when it comes to root cause issues. So if we go to the next little circle in our Venn diagram example, and we start looking at stress as a chronic cause of disease, you may also notice again that there's an overlap with both deficiencies and toxicities. When you think about the meaning of stress, the first thing that comes to mind is probably work relationships and demands, family demands and money, things like that, right? I did. That's what I used to think alone um, before I was in this world. But those are indeed stressors. So don't misunderstand. They are absolutely stressors on the mind and the body. But there are other things that we need to consider in our stress category. So in a very very general sense, stress is a healthy and needed adaptive response in our body. Short exposures to things that are stressful lead to strong adapted cells. For example, we know that fasting, while leading to a stress response in the body, also results in the destruction of weak and dysfunctional cells while creating healthier cells in our bodies that are more able to withstand a toxic exposure. So stress is good in that way. Exercise is another stressor, right? We break down muscle to build muscle. Um, The stress that leads to chronic disease, though, is unabated stressors that change the communication and function of our autonomic nervous system, which I kind of playfully renamed the automatic nervous system. I just, (laughs) I did that when I learned it because it's always automatically working help me differentiate between our like central nervous system. So the autonomic nervous system is automatically active in the body, constantly working in the background to maintain this dynamic balance between like action and rest. There are two main branches and I know some of you already know this, but I want to break it down simply so you really get a picture of it. So there are two main branches of your autonomic nervous system called the sympathetic nervous system, which we also know as the fight or flight nervous system, and the parasympathetic nervous system, and that's also known as the rest and digest branch. The fight or flight side is designed to stimulate your body to action when it's threatened. When it's activated, like when you're physically injured, it slows down the function to of any system that is not 100% needed for immediate survival, 
like say your digestive system and your bladder, while it heavily activates organs like your heart and your blood vessels and your adrenals. So in a life-threatening event, the fight or flight system helps save our lives. But if it's constantly stimulated by a threat that is not necessarily you aren't it you are not necessarily consciously aware of, it can alter the healthy function of our body. Remember, when we activate the sympathetic fight or flight nervous system, um, we act. Uh, sorry, we activate the sympathetic nervous system when our body perceives a threat. And there are many other things that the body can feel like are a danger. Um, like say verbal and emotional abuse, of course, high demands in work, of course, an unstable relationship, but then there's other, maybe less obvious things that can also stimulate this response, like low grade toxicity in our body. Here's our overlap <laughs> or subacute ongoing low grade infections. I see this a lot in my Lyme clients. Their bodies are aware of kind of this constant infection and it's constantly ready to take action and it's working really hard to preserve the body from damaging it. But as a result, the parasympathetic nervous system starts to get real sluggish. So over time, when you have this constant stimulation of your sympathetic nervous system, your fight or flight system, your rest and digest side gets real sluggish. And that means that we have a harder and harder time doing normal things that we need to do like digestion. Remember, it's the rest and digest side. So digestion gets sluggish. We get constipation. Detoxification really reduces because that's not necessarily immediately necessary for uh, a, an immediate threat, right? Um, we want to detox and that's a part of the digest side, rest and digest. Um, but it's not critical to life-saving like the sympathetic nervous system Thanks. Right. So overall, the rest and the resting of our bodies and minds, the digestion and the detoxification really kind of take a down. They, they get turned down, get real sluggish. And here's where the over, where we overlap with toxicity, because if we are less able to clear the toxins from our bodies because digestion, detoxification has all been turned down, then we become increasingly more and more toxic. If your body remains in a dominant state of fight, or, of fight or flight, your cells use up also, they use up far more minerals, which means that we get nutritional deficiencies. So there's our overlap with our deficiencies. So you may be starting to see how chronic disease, including brain health issues, most likely have a root cause in some combination of toxicity, deficiency, or stress. By now, I hope you have heard maybe got a little bit of better picture of that. So like I said, at the beginning of this podcast, our bodies are infinitely complex and dynamic. The key is to figure out what your unique combination of root causes looks like, and how to specifically and aggressively target and address your specific combination, right? The healing strategies that come from identifying and addressing root causes is not linear or as simple as one pill or one supplement. Like I often say, natural healing will always recognize and honor the beautiful complexity of your body. But I all absolutely know how intricate and overwhelming all this can look from a 30,000 foot view. 
which is why I try to give you guys small steps or strategies on each podcast that you can kind of begin implementing today and perfecting over time. Every effort you make to honor your body by intelligently caring for it is well worth it. And I call it, I consider it equivalent to the discipline of doing a monthly donation to your retirement fund. Do not underestimate the value of your efforts in caring for your body. So today I want to leave you with a technique that is a powerful tool, tool to support the flow of electrons in your body. Since today we talked a lot about electrons, I hope you guys didn't check out during all that, but the flow of electrons is everything in our body. So we want to support that. I'm going to challenge you guys to practice something called grounding. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe not, but grounding is a technique where you connect your body directly with the earth. Have you ever noticed that you feel great after walking on the beach? Yeah, maybe it's because it's related to being on vacation. I get that. But there's also actually a good deal of science showing that when we put our bare feet or bare legs or back on the surf surface of the earth, the flow of electrons in our body is stabilized, or we can say harmonized, and our body functions better. This is because when we connect directly to the earth, we are exposing our bodies most intensely to an extremely low electromagnetic field that surrounds the earth. It's called the Schumann resonance. For simplicity's sake today, this frequency is soothing to multiple harmonic frequencies in our body, including the brain. So you can actually, I think on pod, uh, you can find similar frequencies. If you go to your YouTube channels, you can type in Schumann resonance and you'll hear a low sound at the frequency that the Schumann resonance resonates. But if you're just curious, go for it, do it. <laughs> but this, this resonance frequency, it's like 7.85 or something hertz, harmonizes a lot of, of the way the cells move in our body. Um, during sleep, we have we, we hope our, our brain cells harmonize into these waves. Okay. During wake, you have certain, certain brain waves during sleep. You have certain brain waves during deep sleep. You have other brain waves. These are actually things we measure in anesthesia. Um, when you're under anesthesia for certain types of procedures, um, you're awake. Um, brain waves are called alpha, alpha waves awake and calm are beta waves. And then you've got delta and theta. Okay. And, and those are the waves we want. And during deep sleep, we want you to be in those delta theta waves because that's going to help, um, move the lymphatics in your brain to drain out toxins that might be in your central nervous system. So those are really important frequencies and the Schumann resonance helps harmonize those. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's pretty cool. But experts say it's one of the best ways also to reduce harmful EMF exposure, you know, like what you get from your cell phone. <laughs> and this practice helps protect your body from a number of EMF-induced health problems. So here's a list of some benefits that you might receive if you start practicing grounding, uh, just for your own sake of knowledge. Number one, you reduce cortisol levels. That can lead to less pain, improved sleep, better, you know, improved stress response. Number two, it combats positively charged free radicals generated by inflammatory factors 
as they respond to injury, infection, and trauma and stress. So it's an antioxidant. Okay, the frequency literally acts like an antioxidant. Number three, it improves circulation and cardiovascular health by reducing red blood cell clumping. Isn't that cool? Number four, it can reduce muscle damage from exercise. I think that's really neat. And number five, it can improve your mood because of the harmonic frequency in the brain. Again, it's amazing. And it's just connecting your body to the earth. The best part I think about this, this process, this technique is that it, you don't have to spend a penny. It's free. You just got to pick a time in your day and go somewhere where you can connect your body to the ground. You can do grounding anywhere, including the backyard, your paved driveway, a local park. Just be sure that you walk barefoot on the ground or lay on the ground with a book. Put away your phone. Don't have your phone in your hand. And make sure that the activity you choose, um, you know, doesn't mean you're getting connected with any other EMF source like your phone and stuff like that. When I do grounding, I work in the operating room still a few days a week and I will take off my shoes and go for a walk around the park or around the hospital or in the parking lot or just sit with my feet, naked feet on the ground. I don't care what kind of weather we're dealing with. And I live in Colorado, so sometimes that's snow, but it's really helpful to keep my, um, my energy balanced when I'm working in an indoor environment with fluorescent lights and artificial lights and, you know, all the toxic exposure that are in a hospital. That's just all the EMF. Oh my goodness. So yeah, if I can do it, you can do it. So give it a try today for you beginners out there. Just find 15 minutes a day to kick off your shoes and get them connected to the earth. After seven days, pay attention to your sleep and your overall sense of well-being. My favorite part of this is that it's something you can do that costs you, like I said, nothing. It's amazing. So let's free our feet and begin that healing our bodies and our brains. And as always, let me know how you feel. Let me know how it's going with the challenge and send me any questions to info at sandybargeron.com. And I'll be happy to respond there or, you know, on our Instagram or Facebook pages. I enjoyed our time together. I hope you did as well. Till next time, you guys. My hope is that this podcast has left you with a few new insights, hopefully some encouragement, and most importantly, some actionable steps forward toward healing your body and your brain. If you found this content helpful, please don't forget to give us a like and, a sh and share it with someone else who might benefit from it. Also, don't forget to follow us on our Instagram and Facebook pages. I love hearing from you guys. I look forward to spending some time with you again soon. So until then, celebrate the small victories. There really is hope for lasting healing.